I'll honestly anytime. Oh, never mind. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I am Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. So we are all coming back from many things. Disney vacations, babies being had, and my family's got a baby on the way, so this is a summer of many things. But there's another big thing on the horizon, uh, which I am so, so, so sad that I'm not going to be there for, which is Laracon US. And then right after that, there's going to be Laracon EU. So as always, let's do quick updates. Taylor, what's the latest news on Laracon speakers, tickets, timing, events, everything else? All right. So yeah, speakers. I think we've made a couple new speaker announcements since last time. One is uh, Ryan Singer from Basecamp, and the other is Sandy Metz, who is sort of a teacher, consultant, author in the Ruby world, but talks a lot about sort of generic OO uh, concepts that really apply to everyone. So I'm really excited about both of those talks. Uh, I think Ryan is going to do kind of a case study of how to not build very programmery feeling interfaces and instead how to build more well-designed interfaces. So I think he's going to show us, you know, a very typical programmery interface. It's something that looks like not a UX person would build, you know, something that a programmer would build and how to transition that into a better design. And then Sandy Metz is going to talk about code smells in your app and with a with demos of, you know, how to transition, how to identify a certain code smell and then transition it to something a little bit cleaner. And so both those people have been um, sort of influential, I guess, and I've read um, a good bit of their stuff and watched their videos. So I'm excited to see both of them in person. I think it's going to be really valuable. As far as tickets go, we're actually sold out of tickets and have a waiting list. Um, nice. I think maybe uh, 10 or so tickets will open up on the waiting list, but not very many, actually. Um, so it's going to be a pretty packed house. Um, we have a pretty sick after-party venue with um, ping pong, foosball, uh, ski ball, retro arcade games. And I'm also booking a band to be there uh, during that whole time, so we'll have some music going on. Uh, what else? Um, getting ba- getting badges done, having a lot better badges this year. It's like a small thing, I feel like, compared to uh, last year. But I hated the badges last year because they were like super thin and just paper. And this year we're having nice, thick, well-designed badges, which I'm really excited <laughs> about. Nice. Anyway, that's I think that's about it for the uh, Laracon updates. I'm pretty excited. I mean, this lineup is pretty ridiculous. I- I'm yeah. looking at it right now. Look at this. All right. Taylor, obviously, creator of Laravel, creator of Symphony, co-architect of PHP, creator of Vue, Sandy Metz, who maybe some in the PHP community won't know her quite as well. But if if you uh, YouTube some of her conference talks, she's like a perfect speaker. Really good, really easy to understand. And then Ryan Singer at Basecamp. I mean, this lineup is is probably the best you've ever had uh, at Laracon. Yeah, it'll be definitely be hard to top. Yeah. And uh, if you if you don't know Ryan Singer or um, Sandy Metz, I'll I'll put some things in the show notes for both of them. Um, Ryan Singer has a really great interview in Full Stack Radio where he talks about some of the things, um, kind of the earlier concepts behind what he'll be giving his talk about. And then Sandy Metz, uh, there's two things you might have heard of her from. One of them is Pooter, uh, practical, uh, I think practical, 
Yeah, Practical Object Oriented Design in Ruby. It's the big red book with the gears on the front. And if anybody, especially a Rubyist, has ever talked to you about OOP, that's probably the one. But also, she's got um, Sandy Metz's, I think it's four simple rules um, that uh, if we have never mentioned it on the podcast, I'd be surprised. But uh, just go Google that. But I'll put it all in the show notes as well. Uh, just really good stuff about thinking about uh, the core kind of essence of object-oriented programming. And I, it, those are two friggin' fantastic speakers, man. Oh, actually, I'll, I'll give Sandy a little bump. I know she's working on a new OOP book. Uh, oh, cool. If you go to 99bottlesbook.com, uh, it's not out yet, but I think she's on the verge of releasing it. So that's pretty exciting. Check that out. 99bottlesbook.com. And uh, Laracon EU, the, uh, I'm looking as of June 27th, um, the first full-day workshop is sold out and the other two are half full. So Laracon EU still has workshop tickets. I don't know what's going on with the actual state of conference tickets, um, but that's laracon.eu. Uh, to figure out more information about that. So uh, another thing on Twitter, you said that 5.3, Laravel 5.3, the next version um, is going to come out at Laracon. Are you going to kind of show some demos and maybe have some hidden goodies for us? Anything you can tell us there other than uh, look forward to it? Yeah, I am talking uh, that first day and it's going to be a little bit of a longer talk. I think it's an hour and a half. And uh, yeah, releasing Laravel 5.3 right around that same time. Um, there will be a couple goodies. I don't want to blow it up too much just as because I'm scared I'll overhype it. But I mean, there's some pretty mm-hmm. cool new features that no one has seen before um, related to staying in touch with your users, I guess I'll say. And I'm working on, a, I have a couple more in the kitchen that I'm working on uh, this week. So hopefully I'll be able to wrap those up and, and demo those. But yeah, it should be a, a fun time. I always like uh, sort of demoing stuff at conferences rather than trying to give a talk just because it's more fun. Uh, it's more exciting for people, I feel like. So I'm looking forward to it. Nice. And uh, if you haven't caught up on what we're doing with uh, Laravel 5.3, there's a Laravel news post kind of summarizing some of the top pieces. And I've started a blog series, and I'll link to both of those, um, just kind of talking about use cases and how it's different from before for all the uh, the big kind of 5.3 features that are coming out. Um, so yeah, check the show notes for that. Um, another update, uh, you tweeted out recently that there's been some updates to Homestead um, having to do with Vagrant and Ubuntu. Could you kind of give us a walkthrough on that for anybody who's a Homestead user? Yeah, so on Homestead, um, it kind of people may have felt like I was neglecting it, um, but the reason why it hadn't been updated for Ubuntu sixteen point oh four is because Vagrant itself had some issues with the new operating system, and then also the boxes that had been built had some issues that all just needed like some time, I guess, to to get ironed out. But now Vagrant's been updated to one point eight point four is the latest Vagrant release. And we're using the new um, Ubuntu 16.04 LTS for all our uh, as our base for the Homestead box, which includes you know be, uh, newer MySQL and and um, newer packages all around, really for anything you might want to install. So that went up yesterday. Definitely go ahead and get that upgrade because that will get you back you know on the same operating system that Forge is using. If you're sort of trying to stay in sync there between your development and your production stuff, but that is ready to go. I uh, downloaded it myself yesterday. Now, is that the sort of thing, I haven't done the upgrade yet, where you're going to have to do kind of wipe your old box and start from scratch? Yeah, I think probably you will have to wipe your box since you're going to be upgrading the entire box. So basically, you'll update the Homestead Git repo that you have cloned down and then do Vagrant Box Update, which will download the new box. That itself, I don't think, will destroy your box, but the next time you, you'll need to do Vagrant Destroy and then Vagrant Backup to get the new to get the new operating system, which will uh, get rid of any like database data you may have had. Yeah. 
And some folks have mentioned in the past, uh, like having to do certain things and feeling sad that they lost their own, their, their whole homestead box. And I, I think it definitely makes sense. Maybe if you're using homestead for stuff like WordPress, um, I think that the most valuable homestead has been to me is when I'm willing to consider it as something that it's just, if it gets destroyed, that's not a, a big worry. You know, it helps motivate me to keep my migrations in check uh, and on top of everything. Um, but if you are doing these upgrades, just a quick note, if there's any data in there that you're relying on, just go into SQL Pro or whatever and export them. And then when you spin it back up, re-import them. It's, a, it's easy and it's fast, so it shouldn't cause you any pain. And if you're doing something like WordPress and you want something a little bit more persistent, Valet might be a good option for that. I actually run both on my machine. I have Valet and Homestead, so it doesn't have to be an either-or thing. You know, for someone, if they have projects that make more sense to run in Valet and some projects make more sense to run in Homestead because they need some special Linux packages or something, then you should run both maybe. And I'm glad you said that because uh, I keep both running and we have some PHP 5.6 projects that are we're using Homestead for. Is this new box going to be PHP 7? Yeah, it's PHP 7. You can actually specify a box version in your homestead.yaml file. So you can actually use any old version of Homestead if you wanted to go back all the way to the very beginning a couple of years ago. So um, if, you, if you go on Vagrant Cloud, you can see a list of all the box versions and each one kind of has notes as to what changed with that box. And so you can kind of pick a version if you want PHP 5.6 and just put in that box version and you can use that box. Yeah, so that's a, an important versioning note there. If you're using new Forge servers, they all come with PHP 7. If you're using new Homestead servers, they're all going to be PHP 7. If you want to keep PHP 5.6 for Homestead for any reason, um, it would be worth, if you want it globally, you can just change your homestead.yaml like he was talking about. But if you want it uh, both, you will want to use the per project homestead configuration. I'll link that in the, the notes and that there's all sorts of information about that. So you can have multiple homesteads running and one can be the new PHP 7 one with, you know, 1604 and then you can keep an old one as well. Um, quick side note that that kind of reminds me of, of people, if people haven't been keeping up to date on the current status of kind of developing locally. Um, I had some reviewers on my book uh, ask why I was not writing up certain steps of creating a new project. And I realized that I, I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but in the past, when you created a new Laravel project, you'd have to do quite a few pieces. Like you'd have to destroy the old Git history that got cloned down. Uh, you'd need to copy that .env.example file to .env, and you'd have to generate a new app key. And lately, if you run Laravel new something, it's going to do all of those for you, which is one of the cool things about why Valet makes things so fast, because you can literally say, Laravel new my site, CD my site, and then what is it, valet open? Is that the command? Yeah, something like that. I actually forgot, yeah. <laughs> forget what that command is. Exactly what it is. But yeah, so just a note for anybody, if you haven't been doing it for a while, there's kind of little improvements tend to sneak in there without you noticing it. So a uh, little improvement, uh, you don't have to do any of that stuff anymore when you're creating a new one. Just Laravel new my site. Make sure that your Laravel installer is up to date you know, globally, and then that that's just there free for you. So. Um, okay, next thing. Uh, so we talked a little bit already about upgrades that are coming to Elixir. Um, but one thing that uh, we noticed when we were doing a little bit of digging uh, for a blog post we're writing, uh, Samantha Geitz is writing this week, is that uh, the newest version of Elixir is using, and I, you can correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but basically has swapped out the basic compilation process that used to be Browserify is now Webpack. Jeffrey, yeah. tell me more about what's going on there, reasoning, impact, everything about that. Okay, well, well, hopefully, let's say um, up until now, in your gulp file, you just do mix.browserify, and 
you don't even really know what Browserify does. You just know it allows you to use all that cool ECMAScript 2015 stuff, and it compiles it down, and it works in any browser. And you know that's basically what I think uh, a lot of people um, interpret Browserify as, which is fine. Um, but as it turns out, there, there's a lot of different tools that will handle the module bundling, that will handle all of the... Um, the transformations to make ECMAScript 2015 work in any browser. So uh, I decided for Elixir to switch over from Browserify to Webpack for a number of reasons. Uh, one, Webpack is, I think, quite a bit more popular at this point. And two, and probably more this one, uh, it turns out like Browserify can be pretty tough to work with, especially when people want to configure it. So this is one of the hardest things about running Elixir is you want to provide like a a set of tooling for 80% of people, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be those 20% who have very specific configurations, but I wanted to do something for like the 80% of people where it's like, for most projects, this is what you want, you're good to go. But you end up with people who will submit issues and they're like, well, I wanted to use Browserify, but add this Browserify plugin. So how do mm -hmm. I do that? Can you allow me to kind of hook into that point and add my own plugin? Or I want to add my new transformation here. So can you allow me to hook into that? And that's where it's like you keep kind of extending it and making it more and more configurable, which is, uh, I think, a really slippery slope. Because if you go too far and it's too configurable, you're no longer making that 80% happy anymore. I don't know if this mm -hmm. makes any sense, but it, it's Definitely. kind of this like tough line to walk where how... How much do you make configurable versus uh, keeping it simple and what it was originally intended to be? Anyways, so Browserify, the support for that kept kind of growing and extending, and I kept having to pull in these extra little NPM packages to make it work, and it was just kind of a pain to work with, and the the maintenance on the Browserify-specific uh, portion of Laravel Elixir was kind of rough. So I swapped that out with Webpack, which allows me to get rid of a ton of dependencies we don't need anymore. It simplifies the code. It allows you to, if you want, like really we're mostly using Webpack for the bundling aspect. Uh, but if you want to get into any of the other build um, functionalities that it can use, you can create a webpack.config.js file in your project root, and then you can act like you're using Webpack there while still having you know Gulp and Laravel Elixir and, and not really having to think about it very much. So... That's that's really it. Um, hopefully, for most people, you don't need to know what Webpack is or Browserify. You just need to know that you can type mix.scripts, and once again, you can use all the cool new JavaScript stuff, and you don't have to think about it at all, which was the the original plan. You don't have to know all this stuff in order to use it. You also said you improved the output quite a bit, right? What, what did you do there? I can't remember. The output for the terminal? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's... You know how sometimes you'll run, like, let's say, uh, mix.scripts or something, but sometimes it's hard to figure out, like, okay, well, what was the source directory that it actually pulled from? Like, for example, if you say um, before mix.browserify main.js, well, behind the scenes, it's actually looking in the resources assets.js folder, right? But we simplify it since there you can follow conventions. Um, so anyways, that stuff was always hard where you're like, okay, what exactly was the source directory and where was this saved? And... We could have done a better job of that. I could have done a better job of that. So anyways, now the logging, or really just the terminal output, is much nicer. You'll see a little pretty table that will show you exactly the command that was run, a little summary of what exactly it did, which source files it grabbed, and where uh, it saved. So I think that'll make um, debugging or just uh, understanding what exactly is going on when you run these commands, it'll make it a lot easier. 
Um, do we have, is that releasing at Laracon as well, or is that in a separate timetable? Yeah, I'm going to set it up so that whenever Taylor um, releases 5.3, uh, Elixir 6 will be ready to go to. Cool. All right. Uh, next one on the list is for you as well, Jeffrey. Uh, so you created, I, I don't, I, you probably don't want me to call this, but it kind of feels like a little bit of like a dig community style dig where basically people can submit links to relevant kind of articles and tutorials, stuff like that. And other people can thumbs up and tag it. Or do you tag it yourself? Oh, I guess you tag it yourself when you upload it. So yeah. it's different than dig. There's not a whole bunch of comments. It's a much simpler system, but could you talk a little bit about what you want there and what would you love for people to do with it and how do you want them to use it and everything? Yeah, uh, this is not like a full dig competitor right. or really anything uh, remotely like that. Uh, first, uh, for anyone listening, if you go to laracast.com slash community, uh, it, it's very simple, really. And I, like I said on Twitter, it's kind of a selfish thing. Like it, It's really hard to keep up on all the content that everyone's creating. Because as it turns out, the Laravel community is so huge at this point. Every single day, there are dozens of articles written by people. And um, I think... If you're anything like me, like you miss all of them, really. Um, so I, I just wanted, maybe a, for selfish reasons, just a place I could go where I could see pretty up-to-date content from um, from everyone in the community. So yeah, you can go there. You can if you've written a new blog post and you want to share it. Like remember, Laracast has a really big community at this point. So if you share it here, it's going to be seen by so many people, and you get a little more traffic. I get a way to see just all the content that's going on. You can filter it by category. You can see who thumbed up, who thumbed ups. What would I say there? Who <laughs> thumbs thumbed, up. Who thumbed up the most? You, you get the idea. But um, yeah, it, it's a very simple impl- implementation. But, you know, you could go to Reddit. Uh, most people go to Reddit, I think. I, I just don't, I I don't, don't use it. I find whenever I do go to Reddit, I get mad at people. So yeah. I, I think it's best for me just to stay away from it entirely. And really, I get most of my news from Twitter. So this is just an alternative to kind of crowdsource uh, this aspect of compiling all the the relevant content. Anyways, check it out uh, if it's you're interested. It's a safe place. It's a safe place. Yeah, to go it's and a not, safe place. Not get mad. There's no comments on any of the links, so you don't have to read people criticizing what you just spent five hours writing. Um, it's just a way to get some traffic to your site and um, compile everything. Cool. Uh, we, Titan, released something called Mail Thief this last week. Um, Adam Wathen wrote it. And actually, if you've been following his video screencasts over the last couple of years, you have, you've seen the one where he talked about what led to this. But essentially, it's an, a, a testing assertion for mail stuff. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It's uh, titanco slash mail thief. But it basically allows you to capture the mail facade. And then um, uh, any any you can assert against to and from and CC and BCC and attachments and content and all that kind of stuff. Um, next one, Taylor, documentation. You want to spend some time working on the documentation. So two things. W- one of them is that every single time this comes up, you have a request for people to, to submit their, their, their kind of requests. So talk to us about what you're doing and what you want from, from the people. So I just want to add a lot more uh, detail to the docs. Document, I have a list of things that aren't documented um, in a Trello board that I just need to go through and document um, little hidden features. Because like you said, stuff gets kind of snuck in. Like at Just because 5.2 is out doesn't mean features stop coming into 5.2. Like a lot of features come into 5.2 in between releases. And they're not breaking features, obviously, but they're they're just like little improvements or little helper methods or whatever. And sometimes those things don't get documented in between release cycles because people are busy and, um, you know, we're not leading up to a big release. But usually before each release, I try to go through and document anything I have on the list that hasn't been documented. Um, uh, 
and then also just kind of read through every page of the documentation from top to bottom, looking for anything that doesn't make sense or could be worded better or whatever. And then also I've opened back up the issue um, reporting for documentation. I had that closed actually because like my mentality for closing that, which I saw I closed it back in 2013, was basically if you see a problem in the documentation, just fix it. Don't like make an issue about it because it's just like writing words. You know, you don't even really have to write code. Um, But that I've opened that back up just because I still feel like it would be really nice if you could make a PR, but then also at least if you can't make a PR for whatever reason, maybe English isn't your native language and you don't really feel comfortable making a PR, then you can at least file an issue and maybe someone that can or has time to make a PR can, can come in and at least see the issue there and can try to do it uh, themselves. Maybe they, maybe they're an English speaker or whatever. So um, that issue board is open and back up. So people, if you see something that's missing, um, please go out there and say it's missing um, or make a pull request to add it. Because a lot of, I feel like a lot of times I get feedback like, Oh, it'd be great if you could improve the docs. But when I like really push for like specifics, it's hard to really get that out of people sometimes. And in terms of what is actually missing from the docs, because um, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to see it from their eyes, you know, from a beginner's eyes uh, that's just coming into the framework. I think that one is especially hard because I, I think sometimes what they're saying is it's not like the documentation is bad. It's it's they want more information on how to build a web application. And that's where it's hard where it's like, well, how much responsibility do the Laravel docs have to show you that, you know? Like, it, it, I don't know. It gets pretty tough. That was pretty... I got that a few times on Twitter um, this week or last week where people were saying we want more examples of how to build things. And that is hard to show, like, in what style do I show it? You know, do I show it um, mm-hmm. with a lot of dependency injection and abstraction? Do I show it mainly in the controller using facades? And there's sort of... There's places in between those two spots, so... It's hard to really show that because I don't like to be dogmatic about how people build their apps with Laravel because each app is different and people have different tastes and stuff and how they code. And if I do it a certain way in the docs, that will inevitably inevitably become the canonical way to do that thing. You know, so it's hard to hard to say, but maybe there's a middle ground we can find where we can show some more examples without really um, saying that this is the only way you could do something. I mean, I think that's a really good role for the community. Like, I have five or six Laravel projects that are open source, and I'm not going to say you can look to them and say, hey, those are just the perfect way to do it, but they're all done differently. You know, like, and Symposium and Confomo and Suggestive are all relatively recent, and a couple other ones are older, and I'm not the only one. Um, And additionally, there's ridiculous number of tutorials for someone saying, here's how to build a Laravel app from scratch that does X or does Y or does Z. Um, so I think the fact that the documentation currently has some like getting started at different levels of fidelity already, I don't know if there's much more, not to say there isn't, but I don't know if there's much more because at that point, it's just like what you said. I mean, Laravel is a very flexible framework and you want to leave people free to do it and not prescribe that they do a certain way. So I don't, I, I at least personally have a little bit of pushback in the idea that the docs should do any more of that. Like that's kind of what the community is for. Yeah, I think so too. Plus, like, you don't want the documentation to get too big. Like, I, I sort of like that for any of these categories. I can I can go through it in just a handful of minutes. If you keep in- extending it with more examples, and especially the more you get to, like, real-life examples, that's a lot of code, and that's a lot of writing. And then it, it gets to the point where it's not easy to take in. So uh, I, I agree with Matt totally. Like, that's kind of more, I think, the community's realm. 
Um, and yeah, like Taylor said, especially like no matter what approach he shows, that will then be the the recommended approach. And then he's going to get slammed for that. You know, that's just the way it goes. If you show this approach, then that's what you're advocating. And that's not the right way to go. And, and people will get mad no matter what you do. So I think like leaving that to the, the domain of the community makes sense to me. And maybe, maybe the issue board will help clarify some. We'll see. Mm hmm. Well, I'll put a couple um, open source Laravel apps in the show notes. I'll put all of mine, um, but I also maybe ask on Twitter to see if there's any other uh, ones that people want to kind of put forward as, hey, take a look at these. Um, I don't think any of these would be like, this is the perfect one to look at. But again, if you just want to see real people writing real code, find any open source Laravel project that is actively running and being used and has, you know, contributors to it. And it probably at some point will have you know, evened out some of its inconsistencies just by the contribution level of uh, pull requesters. So uh, this is a ridiculous question to ask because I couldn't even begin to answer it. But who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Well, then this is obviously for Taylor because I don't really watch basketball anymore. <laughs> I, didn't you know, know, I, see, I, I didn't know if you did or not, but I knew Taylor did. <laughs> well, so you know, like when ahead. I was a kid, of course, we were all excited. Like when I was a kid was was the Bulls generation with, with Jordan right. and Pippen so and, Jordan. Um, yeah. and Dennis Rodman. So that was like the coolest thing ever. But I, I don't keep up on it as much. Um, what I would like to hear from Taylor, like is is Michael Jordan better or is LeBron better? Uh, I don't keep up on any of it at this point. So how, how do you measure that? I think right now, probably Michael Jordan people would say is better because like I had to pull up the stats real quick, but Michael Jordan stats is 30 points per game average. LeBron's at 27, but LeBron does have more rebounds per game and more assists per game than Michael Jordan. And Jordan has a slight edge on steals and then they're tied on blocks. But it's like, I think what the cool thing about LeBron is just his whole uh, narrative this year was so awesome. Even though I think I do think Michael Jordan like has the better career thus far, but like the thing LeBron did with like going to Miami, you know, he's born in Ohio. He has this like basically homeless childhood where he's living with coaches and with friends, and um, you know, his mom's a single mom that's uh, struggling to make ends meet. So he's in Ohio. He plays high school basketball in Ohio. He gets drafted to the Cavaliers, you know, which are based in Ohio. And then, like, gets all the way to the finals in 2009 and sort of, like, they fail, you know, to they, they lose in the finals to the Spurs, I think. And then goes to Miami where, you know, he has a better chance of winning a championship and stuff. And he was sort of, like, the villain for a while. And then he wins two championships. And so then he comes home to Ohio, like, his hometown. It's like, okay, I'm coming home. Like, this is my dream to win this championship in Ohio. And then to be like down 3-1 against the Warriors who beat the Bulls record for like wins and losses this year. They were 73-9 and and the Bulls were 72-10. and So this was the all-time winningest team ever. And the Cavaliers were down three games to one. And for LeBron to like bring them back and win three straight to win the whole series four to three is just like, to me, that's the biggest, that's the craziest finals ever. Like that's the best finals of all time. Even though he may, even though to me, like Jordan's the number one player and LeBron's kind of like, one a or two probably on my list in terms of like all around skills like that finals has got to be the best finals even better than anything jordan did in terms of like individual series because that the, just the whole narrative behind it is so crazy to like do it for your hometown and against such odds of being down three one which no one had ever come back from three one in the finals so pretty, yeah, crazy, pretty crazy series I had no idea there was that much in, into it. All I knew that was that Steph Curry was a golden child and he seems to be a nice guy. So I was like kind of sad to see him lose. 
yeah. then uh, and then I heard you say that whole thing, and you you had given me a much shorter version of that story, and I was like, oh, okay, there's there's more going on here. Yeah, well, for me, the narrative was like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are both the sons of NBA players. You know, Michael Thompson from the Lakers oh, yeah. and uh, Del Curry, who played for a few teams. And it's like, so they're like, they were kind of like, in my eyes, like the, the, rich, the rich kids, you know, like the yeah, rich yeah. kids in the players. And LeBron was like the kid that struggled. Like he's playing at the YMCA. He's playing like stuff I could relate to from growing up a little bit. And then to come and like knock off that team being down 3-1 yeah. was just like so crazy. I don't know. I think that's will be very historic series. I love hearing how romantic Taylor is about all this. That's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Like, if you just find what somebody is really into, they just become like a total romantic about it. Oh my Taylor's god! Taylor's created when, this whole thing, this underdog who's come no, from nothing. That's the true story. <laughs> when, that's the true story. But I am romantic about it. I remember when Michael Jordan retired the first time, like when he retired from the Bulls. I was walking through the Hot Springs Mall, Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is where I grew up, and I was I was like ten or eleven. I was literally crying in the mall, I was just gonna... <laughs> walking through the mall, and I felt like such an idiot. Good, I had just heard from a friend that he had retired. So yeah, I was pretty romantic about it. And like, was that the part where? He then went and played baseball, right? This was the second time played. he retired. He retired okay, twice. Second. Yeah. And then he, he went, yeah, that's right. He went and played baseball, then he retired, and then he came back to play for the Washington Wizards. Okay, that's so right. So this was this was after that second retirement. I'll, honestly, anytime. Oh, never mind. That was it. That's all I got. <laughs> good, good, solid ending. <laughs> Just yeah, a thanks. moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been. <laughs> How am I going to edit podcast. this one now? We oh, also God. one thing we uh, we don't. Have, I don't know if we have time to talk about this this week, but Red Rising, which Jeffrey hasn't read, but oh, at my some gosh. point we need to address that on the podcast. Okay, uh, let's let's go ahead and address it right now. Let's so address it. We have um, for everyone listening. There's like a, a small Telegram group with just a handful of us who talk. So they're all getting into this Red Rising book right around the period where my wife was about to go into labor. So I just said, I'm going to read it. Please don't spoil it. And over the next two weeks, they all just kind of took turns spoiling it over <laughs> and over and over. And I was trying to protect him, too. Every time I was like, no, wait, Jeffrey hasn't read it yet. Don't spoil it. If, only, like, oh, Je okay. if only Jeffrey knows how much he doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited because genuinely, I, I basically know nothing at all. I, I read the one paragraph synopsis and uh, that's it. So I, I promise I'm going to read it probably in the next week. Um, you need, once, I think once you get started, it's hard to put down. It's it's and I don't I don't want to hype things too much so they get disappointed. But like I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, and I've gone and I've kind of gone back and read other authors who I really like after reading Red Rising. And sometimes I've been a little disappointed because I'm like, man, this is not this is not keeping up to Red Rising. So it's it's pretty solid stuff, even when I kind of compare it to the stuff I normally read. Yeah, to me, to me, they were just fun. I mean, they were just really a lot of fun. That's why I liked them. Is the story like kept you really engaged? Really big page turner, crazy stuff was happening every chapter. It felt like so. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And there's a lot too. Like a single book in the Red Rising series could be like three books in a lot of other series. Like there's so many like big thing happens, breathing point. Big thing happens, breathing point. Okay. This is going long. This has been <laughs> the Basketball and Red Rising podcast where we occasionally talk about Laravel. So, man, we got one month, one month to Laracon US. So we maybe got one or more of these before uh, Laracon US. So we will see you all in about two-ish weeks. Uh, and then after that, it's Laracon US. <laughs>